Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today we have Thomas Staub, uh, founder of the Real Estate Investing Academy, also the author of Beyond Your Backyard, which is a book about investing uh, out of your state, uh, basically remote real estate investing. And then uh, um, Thomas, through hard work and dedication, has made his dream come true, which is to achieve financial freedom. And as you know, for me, this should be number one goal for everybody is to achieve financial freedom because it's inevitable. And um, so now he wants to show others exactly how to do it through his book, through his YouTube channel, and also um, coaching and education program. So Thomas, welcome back. Good to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you again. Actually, you've never been on this particular uh, YouTube channel, but I think I was yeah, on yours and so. we've I... talked, yeah. I definitely recall the uh, the Van Gogh in the background. I don't recall that guitar though. <laughs> That's, That's right. new. Yeah, so sometimes I take it out, take it back. Sometimes yeah. I have an electric one that I put in there too. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I have I have two right here. I have the Gretsch. This is my this is the Ferrari oh, nice. of uh, guitars. When I got it, it was years ago. I had a small bonus. I was like, do I buy a guitar with this? Um, very pricey, but yeah. <laughs> when I play it, I smile every time. So oh, nice, nice, very good. Well, so let's uh, start with your journey. I mean, obviously, my listeners, they, uh, they may not know about you. Sure. And uh, so if you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into real estate. Yeah, and I hate to use the, you know, the accidental landlord cliche, but to some degree, it's kind of that way. Um, I, you know, I grew up in finance, Wall Street, consulting, tech, all that stuff. And about a decade of my life, I did spend in the Bay Area grinding. And I was trying to buy a house, couldn't afford it saved money, couldn't afford it the following year, saved money, couldn't afford it yeah. the following year. I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I, I can't buy a house here. That makes sense. Um, and back then I just wanted to own a house. And then, then I said, well, I'm not gonna leave my cash sit. And um, so I looked at Indianapolis as a market to start buying rentals. Mm -hmm. So with that cash, I bought a few properties and it was very addicting. And then I started buying some more in Indy and then Alabama and then Texas and then Ohio, where you guys are at. Um, and then that just grew into the journey of real estate, which it is, which meant flips. And then I, I, I didn't like flips. Um, just a lot of work, a lot of backbreaking work, contractors and all that. Uh, so that I moved into a bigger flip, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> in, actually in Ohio, where you all are, all are at um, doing commercial flips. Yeah. And then um, got out of that, wanted more of a passive role after all those backbreaking hours. Um, so I started doing hard money lending, which is, I, I still do today, I still do that. And then most recently, I um, obviously, I, the, the academy, I push pretty hard uh, mm -hmm. for everyone to learn, but predominantly my bread and butter is land development. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So, so when you were investing out of state, you were you were based in the, in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, and then so I mean, there's so many people here in the West Coast, as you know, and probably in the East Coast as well. But they're still chasing that, you know, I want to own my home and all of that, and I have to come up with the down payment, and it's three hundred thousand dollars. And oh, and then you oh, here's the house I want. Oh no, you need three fifty, or you need four hundred, mm, yeah. or blah. And then okay, well I'll save some more, and then you know, of course, the house is gone. And then you keep chasing that instead of um, actually investing that money. And then, you know, 
using the the rental income from that or the, the net cash yeah. flow from that to actually subsidize and help you that's right. uh, either rent or uh, or do something else with your money. Yeah, I think that's very smart. I mean, and that's for me. Like I bought the I bought my my house a long time ago in two thousand and one. I think. <clears throat> yeah, so you're and, you're fine, uh, right? Well, I yeah, exactly. It was not. It was still ridiculous when I bought the house. I, we we bought it was a yeah. seventeen hundred square foot house. We paid like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for it. Oh wow! And uh, we just like this is ridiculous. The prices cannot like go. Yeah. So yeah. So we sold that actually in two thousand and seventeen or eighteen. Okay. Cool. For yeah, over two million dollars. Yep. So it's like well, I was trying to get the equity out and all of that, and then, you know. And so, but yeah, we basically sold it. We rented it, rented a house instead that was bigger, better for the yeah. same monthly cost. Well, yeah. And, and well, there's a few things there, right? One, the costs are not quite the same. You're not paying for the taxes or the insurance or the maintenance. So a lot of the mm -hmm. rich people, the Grant Cardones, the, you know, the Robert Kiyosaki's, they don't own their homes. They rent them. Mm -hmm. you know, they live in these mansions, you know, that are 10,000 square feet. They spend 6,000 bucks a month or whatever it is to rent. They yeah. don't want to deal with, uh, all the expenses. And on top of that, if you go to sell it, who's going to buy it? There's only, you know, so many people that are that rich. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, you, you got lucky in the sense that you had a wave of tech that boomed in the Bay area, which made you a fortune, right. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you're on that side, awesome. And I think a lot of people are hoping that's the case for their situation. And I, mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to see another 2010 to 2018, 17 in the Bay area for some time in the Bay area. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the future brings actually yeah. in the Bay Area with people working from home, people trying to uh, get get out of California. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, supply that. is still limited, right? So you'll still yeah. see appreciation of four to six oh, yeah. percent. Yeah. But like, that shouldn't be why you're buying a property. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, that's why I think, you know, people need to have, I mean, the owning a home is kind of like the American dream and all yeah. that. So and but what's more important achieving financial freedom or owning your home i right. mean this it should be an easy answer uh but obviously financial freedom buy your time buy uh, your uh, you know instead of selling your you know your time for for yeah. money you know get yeah. some rental income coming in and in my opinion everybody should be renting and then i should be i should be buying a house and renting it to you and you should be buying a house and renting it to me we have yeah. better tax benefit we have <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's i mean this this in itself is a topic and i think yeah. for new listeners they're like what the hell are you two talking about um but yeah i mean there, there's the american dream but the first step is really to produce income through income producing assets mm -hmm. to your point that will subsidize your living and then exactly. if you want to buy a house and that house is paid for by those income producing assets yeah. great but mm -hmm. don't buy a asset that's sucking away cash flow every month if you don't have cash flow coming in from other sources. Yeah. And of course, the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area is a little bit of a special market. I think that yeah. some other market I'm looking in Memphis, for example, I mean, it may make sense to to buy a house instead yeah. of renting it because the, right. the cost is pretty much That's uh, right. yeah. it's a little bit more skewed the other way. But yeah, in the Bay Area, it was just, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of markets, you know, Denver. Uh, San yeah. Diego, LA, Seattle, Austin, yeah. even yeah. Dallas now, I mean, doesn't really make sense to buy a house. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's why, you know, just like us, I mean, you looked outside of California to kind of like buy these properties, these rental properties, and then you wrote the book Beyond Your Backyard to basically yeah. help other investors to, to do the same to, uh, and then talk about the different challenges. So tell, tell us about some of the challenges you faced when you decided to invest out of state. Yeah, it's um the book, you know, I was listening to a lot of podcasts when I first started out. Um, my good friend Marco Centarelli has a podcast. And, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, so he and I are friends and, uh, you know, we talk every so often. And um, I, so I actually met him through buying from his his company, right? Uh, he can't really, you know, he can't really source good deals that have, a, you know, a lot of margin these days, like like you all can. But mm -hmm. um what I'll say is I learned that from these podcasts, a lot of these podcasts, uh, they, they weren't teaching concepts that really mattered. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. they were teaching concepts around the idea of passive income, great cash flow, great. We know that, you know, the basics of rent to value ratio is cool, but there's a lot of nuances in real estate investing that if you don't consider uh, long-term, you could be in, in, in some pain. And what I mean is I'll just take one example out of the book that, that I talk about. Um, you know, real estate at its core is a supply and demand equation. Right now, for mm -hmm. example, we're seeing massive demand, low supply. So what's happening? Mm -hmm. You're seeing price appreciation. It's a pretty simple equation. Well, what drives supply and demand? Population, right? That's a big component of it. People buy houses. So if, you know, if you're just looking at a turnkey rent rental, for example, and you're saying, wow, that, you know, this is a 20% cash on cash return, fantastic. Okay, is it in a dying city that has one employer? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Are you exposed in some way through crime or you know failing schools um, or whatever it is? And so, mm -hmm. um, in the book, I I talk about these nuances that are not so often discussed, and I do it because if you buy right and you buy markets that are growing in median income, growing in population, have decent schools and the infrastructure and a diverse economy, and you know I go through all these. 27 variables in, in the book. If you're, if you're buying in that way, you're not only going to get cash flow, uh, you're going to have an asset that appreciates, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the goals people want. You're going to get an asset um, that will remain attractive for decades. Yeah. And what you don't want to have is an asset that you buy two, two years later, you sell it. You got to keep doing this flip-flop motion. That's, that's too active if you're truly yeah. trying to be a passive investor. So yeah. Um, that that's one chunk of the book is what does that look like? How do you navigate those nuances in, in the process? Yeah. And yeah. And a lot of people also, they're trying to build passive income, but at the same time, they're trying to leave a legacy for their children. Oh, sure. And so, I mean, this is critical that you have an asset that, you know, 50 years from now is still going to be uh, valuable and appreciated. Yeah. yeah. Like I probably wouldn't want to be buying in Illinois right mm -hmm. now, you know, it's mm -hmm. a dying state. Yeah. Uh, yeah. West Virginia, it's, it's a dying state. Uh, not that it won't rebound, but this is called the facts what they are. Yeah. Um, if you buy a property today, I don't know, in 20 years, you might lose value on that property. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think this, this is a very good point. And I think that for me, um, I look, well, my number one criteria is landlord-friendly states, right? Because oh, yeah. we're doing rentals, so that's number one. So right there, I'm eliminating a whole bunch of people, a, a whole bunch of states. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so I wouldn't invest in California, for example. Uh, and it's getting worse. So yeah. uh, the other thing too is, yeah, population growth. I think this, this is obviously critical, as you mentioned. But I'm, I'm also looking for a fairly low uh, 
population growth. I don't want an explosion of population growth where it's going to drive the demand for, for real estate and all of that. And then I can't find a good price that's going to that's mm. going to cash flow. So because I, often what happens is if you have a huge surge, like you're in Phoenix or you're in, you know, in the Bay Area, you end up like so many people are were trying to come in that the prices of properties would go up and yeah. then they won't now, cash flow. If you had already bought in, right? So let's mm -hmm. say you yeah. bought 10, 15 doors in Memphis. Yeah. And then in three years, Google announces that they're moving their headquarters to Memphis, Facebook, yeah. Apple, and everything booms. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. You know, so that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's why you want to, so you want to have multiple, uh, you have some business diversification. So this that's is right. something that, uh, that we're using. And actually I created a, a website called investor dash list. And I basically, uh, share all my, my data about, uh, the different cities and stuff like that. And I created a business diversification index in there. Mm. So to kind of give an idea of how diversified the, uh, the particular, uh, metropolitan area is it's so critical right uh yeah. you know i was we were doing a land deal out in um arizona which is i develop in texas and arizona and um we primarily develop in two areas in arizona one of them is closer to, to sedona right well we have this kind of off project in this small town called called uh, clarkdale which is it's a really charming town in camp verde which is a green area of arizona believe it or not yeah. where there's, there's wineries wow. and everything very pricey housing, right? So we had this this piece of land in in play. Uh, it's like a three year project, and we we're going to build you know eighty to one hundred homes there. And my one worry was that there were really two employers. It was well, state uh, schooling, and there was a cement producer, and, and oh. that was it, <laughs> which is fine, right? But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the majority of jobs were driven by those three things. And then the remote workers who were coming, right? Which is a, mm -hmm. you know, that eventually will, will teeter out. Uh, and so my fear was, well, I'm not saying cement will go away in three years, but what if it does? What if that mm -hmm. one cement producer goes belly up for whatever reason? Maybe it's tax evasion. Maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe the economy turns south and, you know, cement's no longer the, the needed resource. I don't yeah. know. But if that were to happen, that's that that project goes belly up and so to mm -hmm. your point having a diversified economy is absolutely critical and i think even for back in 08 in the crash you look at you know even now for covid um even yeah. though there's not huge crashes you know florida uh vegas very susceptible to the covid mm -hmm. pandemic because yeah, yeah. they're primarily services and entertainment right yeah. so that's right. your point spot on that having a diversified economy or metropolitan is one of the most key uh, you know, metrics to watch. Yeah, yeah exactly. So the, uh, and then the, uh, so, and we also like some sectors that we kind of prefer. So yeah. once we kind of dive into it a little bit more, like Memphis, obviously we have FedEx, that's, uh, you know, second largest cargo airport uh, in the world. We have a, uh, you know, St. Jude's Hospital. So we like healthcare and kind of yeah. like transportation or e-commerce kind of related kind of yeah, well, uh, business to plug you you're also in cleveland and for those that don't know yes. um the clinic is arguably number two or if not yeah, number right. one the biggest healthcare best healthcare in the nation that's uh, right. and i've been out there i used to live in cleveland for a minute that hospital looks like a spaceship it is it's <laughs> it's incredibly how like how high tech it is um and if you can get anything near that hospital that's a in my opinion yeah. that's a home run deal yeah well, also they have the health tech in Cleveland. They have the health tech corridor. 
So yeah. where they're trying to get a lot of these, the, the biotech and yeah. everything that kind of goes around the healthcare sector uh, in that area, yeah. so, which is a fantastic idea. Yeah. And as we see, uh, healthcare is not going to go away anytime no. soon. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think we're safe Unless we there. stop aging somehow. Yeah, but you know they're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. well, it's just going to be more disease or something. Yeah, like yeah, it'll be something else. Or it's going to be a subscription to a yeah, some yeah, kind of medicine. To, yeah, it's, it's God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. Again, another reason to have passive income. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So you can have your cryogenic, and then your, oh, yeah, your basically yeah. your portfolio keeps paying your uh, your yeah. cryogenic uh, thing. Yeah, which by the way is the entire SaaS tech model, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there, there's a metric called ARR, which is annual recurring revenue. And last yeah. night in my dream, this this sounds crazy. I um, I got up last night at like 3 a.m. I couldn't sleep. Um, yeah. You know, I, I felt good. I got up and I started working. And I had my own like ARR. I was like, oh yeah, you could apply that to our own personal life. Like, what is your you know, like your your MRR, like your monthly recurring revenue? You know, mm -hmm. and where do you get yeah. it from? Is it diverse yeah. or is it one asset? Um, and yeah, so you, you, you take that concept and you apply it to your own life. You know, what are some ways to create right. passive income or your MRR? Right. That's right. No, I think that's a, that's a great idea. I think having doing your own uh, cre uh, Imagining your family as a company, yeah, uh, and for and for me it's a little bit easier to imagine because my <laughs> my company is my is the is all yeah. family business. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's very important to kind of like think of it as a as a company and look at your income. Where's your your you do your PNL, you do That's your right. balance sheet, you do you your know, cash. It's funny, statement. I I I yeah, I, I in my course I talk about the same thing, uh, and I call it the three sheets mindset, right? And I I, I talk about thinking about your personal life as a business, right? Every quarter mm -hmm. you have goals, every year you have goals, you have a three-year stretch goal, right? And you, and you manage your P&L, which is just your monthly expenses from your credit cards or whatever it is. Uh, you have your balance sheet, which is your true net worth, assets minus liabilities or loans rather, or mortgages. Um, and then you have your, your cash flow. You know, mm -hmm. where, like, where are you spending your chunks of change in your bank? Are, are they in investments? Are they for a new car? Are they jewelry? Where, where's it all moving to, right? Yeah, yeah. So. No, I think that that's very good. And also, um, I mean, Rich Dad Poor Dad also had like a, a personal financial statement. Yeah. And then they were also looking at the income, whether it was passive income or W-2 income yeah, uh, or active income. And then you would calculate a ratio and say, okay, well, you're at like 50% passive yeah. or 20% passive and kind of help yeah, you yeah. kind of get to that level, yeah. which is, that's, I think that's a very good exercise to, to go through. And um, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I just had this conversation, I guess last night, um, you know, I, you know, I've worked with many white collar tech people who make good money. You know, mm -hmm. I have friends that are doctors. I have friends that are, you know, research, did research at Harvard, very smart people. And they're grinding away, making a good salary and they're buying the house, putting it into a 401k. Um, and like, there's nothing wrong with working, right? Oh. They, they love what they do. They truly do. But why not create the income in the just in case scenario? What yeah. if, you know, if you're an accountant, there's a new AI platform that outsources all, all, you know, accounting work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, what if, if, you know, you're a basic pediatrician that can be automated in five years? You know, that hedge is pretty important. And it's, it's not that difficult to start doing it if you are making a lot of money. You know, yeah. you, you put 10, 20% of your, of your income away into these assets. You know, it takes seven to 10 years. 
but you will eventually have that ratio that you're talking about, the 50-50. And that allows you to consider like, okay, well, I don't have to work. And I swear to you, the moment I had that, like that attitude, um, yeah. life became way easier. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, I think also, yeah, people would say, oh, yeah, oh, I don't want to achieve financial. I love my job and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not saying quit your job. You're not forced to quit your job, but you know, it's the ups and downs. And some of the jobs, I, the pandemic was pretty interesting from that perspective because some people that never thought that uh, their job would be at risk, like doctors, dentists, yeah. you know, all of a sudden they yeah. had like six months where they couldn't they couldn't see patients and just yeah. like or surgeons that uh you know, that it's unbelievable people that yeah. they thought like there was nothing that could go wrong and yeah. all of a sudden six months without <laughs> without income you know, it's amazing um about a year and a half ago let me two years um i read the economist awesome magazine um i read an article about you know these super viruses super bacteria that are coming out that we don't have the the remedies for you know, I kind of put it back down on the desk. And then I read the same article in National Geographic, right? Mm -hmm. So here we are, you know, two years later, it happens. Uh, we're not really prepared for even a second one. And yeah. both articles were saying, look, this is going to become more common. So yeah. this is just the first scare. I, this will get to a point where we're having this every, every three to five years. Yeah. And so to your point, like, what is really a protected job? You know, I think yeah. a mechanic, a plumber, those are pretty safe. But yeah, uh, my mother uh, works at a dental practice, right? Um, you know, she manages all their all their buildings from and stuff. But um, her her business got hammered. They couldn't mm -hmm. go into work. You know, dentists couldn't you know couldn't pay people. They yeah. were getting laid off, and that's an yeah. essential need. That's right. You know? Yeah. The other thing too is that uh, the shift of working from home. I think it's also going to change much more than, oh, I can work from home. I think this yeah. what's going to happen too is that if I'm, if I'm a, a manager or a director and I live in the, in the Bay Area, let's say, and now my workers, the people that the software developers or whatever that are working for me, full-time employees, they move to Phoenix and they move to Texas and all of that or Florida. And then I have a, obviously in technology, you also have a group of people that work offshore in India and Asia. And, um, you know, so for me, like as a, as a manager or a director, I look at that and say, well, it's, it takes the same amount of work really uh, to, to yeah. you know, to manage these people. And actually, I, I would prefer to have it all in one time zone so I don't have to be up 20 hours a day. Yeah. So, so now these people that are working from home in Texas and Phoenix, they're, they're kind of in the same market. Yeah. And, uh, and the switch might happen uh, pretty soon that now they're going to be asked to be independent contractor. Mm. And uh, I know right now this is, you know, that part of it is very, uh, is very protected by the IRS and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Uber in California, you know, they, they declared their drivers to be independent contractors. Yeah. And I think this is just the one step. Uh, yeah. towards that and i think a lot of these employees that are currently full-time employees and protected that way they may end up becoming independent contractors and then yeah i mean I, I think we can all agree for those that don't believe in passive income or or do um we all know the world's changing and it's changing rapidly and yeah. uh i i follow ark invest or kathy wood who's, who's had a beating yeah, yeah. in the last couple of months um for a number of reasons but the concepts are still there right in the mm -hmm. next five years technology is going to shake up all sorts of markets. I mean, yeah. all sorts. And 
to go naively through life to and, and assume that your income is just going to be there for 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you know? Like think Murphy's law, right? Uh, and you know, or, or is it Moore's or Murphy's law with, with the uh, doubling? I think change. it's Moore's. 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 Law. Yeah. yeah. Um, the point is, is that it's happening to everything. So yeah. 10 years is now like, you know, uh, like a hundred years in technology, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> to think that your job is safe, unless again, you are like a plumber or electrician, I think that is naive. And if you're mm-hmm. not planning for the worst case by creating income, uh, cause mm-hmm. by the way, it takes time, it takes five to 10 years to, to create a yeah. substantial, you know, yeah. nest egg. Uh, if you're not doing that, I, no matter what your status is, unless you're making a ton of money right now, I, th- I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, exactly. I think, it's, and you know, yeah, it's a great insurance anyway. So, and as you're be, for independent contractors or people that are full-time employees that may be turning into independent contractors, the whole economy is turning into a gig economy. Yep. Uh, we see more and more of that. That means you can expect more ups and downs and peaks and valleys in your income. Yep. You may end up that, oh yeah, we, we have this project for you and then oh, you're working you know, many hours and then the project is over and then you have three weeks without pay or three That's months right. without yeah. pay and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so such is the life of the gig, uh, gig worker. And that's why, and that's another reason why I think passive income is, uh, is important to actually start smoothing out. So when you have these, these peaks, you know, to cut some, some of the top off yeah. and then uh, invest in real estate. And then when you have a, uh, a little valley, then that net cash flow is going to help you smooth out. Well, 100%. Kind of like I mean, your, even in my, my world, right. I, let's just say, for example, um, you know, I, I just put in contract 46 acres uh, yesterday. Well, that's going to cost a million, million and a half, right? Yeah. That money won't even come back to me for 18 months. Yeah. So I had to throw all this money at it. Now in 18 months, I'll, I'll be sitting very pretty, but until that time, there's no income coming in. Mm-hmm, so how mm-hmm. do I live in, in the meantime? Well, I, I yeah. have to have these assets that produce income. Now, yeah. Again, if you have a W-2, a little different story, but you know, um, if you're doing a side hustle, if you're doing these big projects, to your point, you take some of the money that you make, you put it into more solid things. It could be syndications. Mm-hmm. It could be turnkeys like you guys do. It could be uh, storage facilities. I mean, there's all kinds of things, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, but just be a passive partner. Take a yeah. 15, 20% profit share and be happy. Yep. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, so you've talked about a lot of these. Uh, it sounds like your strategy has enhanced, was enhanced from the the rental space and yeah. commercial, and now you're doing more some of the land deals. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about that. Why you decided to do this? Yeah. And, uh, man. Yeah. Um, it's what a journey. Um, <laughs> you know, real estate is so much fun though. It, it is because yeah. I don't know anyone I've talked to that has just kind of done one thing their entire journey i mean maybe but it just it naturally evolves right um and i think as the market shifts as it always does you have to shift with it Mm -hmm. right and hopefully you picked up assets at that time that you can hold on to so for example if you bought you know turnkeys back in 2015 through 2018 you're probably doing really well right now right um but now it's a tough market unless you have someone like you uh in your back pocket so it might be hard to buy turnkeys so where else do you put your money well, now maybe it's a time to think about, okay, well, flippers still need to flip. I can make hard money loans uh, and make 13, 15% annually. Okay. So there's an option too. Where, yeah. And when that dries up, which I'm already seeing it. Um, uh, and before this, by the way, it was syndications, you know, it was big yeah. multifamily syndications. They were offering eight, 12, 15%. Well, now that's all come down too, to mm-hmm. six to 10. Yeah. So that's, that's not very right. attractive anymore. 
So you got to pivot. Um, and if it's not hard money lending, well, what else do you do? Yeah. And so I've, I found my next pivot, which was, you know, I was already developing in Arizona. Um, I live in Texas. It's a hell of a travel every, every weekend to go check out what's going on. Um, so I brought it back home to Texas and, you know, the numbers work. We're, we're mm-hmm. able to do all the permitting, uh, find land, subdivide it, build roads, get her ready for these builders. Uh, it's, it's a really tough process, um, capital intensive, but the numbers are substantial. There's a big margins. Yeah. And if you have the right teams in place, um, it's, it's a no brainer. So basically I I'm pulling in capital from people in California, from New York, even Texas now putting it in these land deals, offering a very attractive return, uh, preferred. And, mm-hmm. you know, we manage a project, we sell in 12 to 18, 18 months, capital goes back and we just rinse and repeat. Now this won't last forever. I'm thinking two to three years from what I, um, I've researched. And then yeah. again, I'll have to pivot into something else. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, so, you know, we talked a lot about construction costs and yeah. all of that, and uh, or it's in the news. Uh, so how did that impact your margin? Like- yeah, well, it's been it's been interesting, right? Again, in Arizona, um, there's really three three phases of development. Phase one is buying land, subdividing, preparing it with permits and all that. Phase two is putting in utilities, you know, sewer, water, power, internet, gas, all that. Phase mm-hmm. three is the actual building of the the properties, right? Yeah. Arizona, we do phase one, two, and three. Texas, we do phase one, maybe phase two. Okay. So in Arizona, when lumber was skyrocketing, um, one, we had already locked in our contracts. So thank God. Um, But price appreciation was happening at the same time. So Mm -hmm. our pro pro formers in Arizona, we're building homes for like uh, like 225 all in, and we were selling them for 349. Okay. Now pre-tax, pre-commissions. Well, Material costs went up. Our cost of bill was two eighty five, but mm-hmm. we were selling them for four ten. Yeah. So effectively, the same dollars in, in margin. It just happened, kind of, you know. So the, it's kind of shifted up. The sea level rose across all, you know, yeah, prices. Exactly. And so it's it's been fine. Yeah. Right now, we're seeing a correction in lumber. I called that out, you know, in the last month or so, um, and some materials are coming down. Uh, so, you know, I think some builders are waiting. Uh, they're yeah. slowing down production. They're pouring foundations and that's it. They're, they're waiting mm-hmm. to frame. And then once this comes down a little more, I think they'll double down and start building like crazy. So, yeah. For us, we haven't been too impacted by the cost of lumber because we, we yeah. just do renovations. We don't do any kind yeah. of like te- massive tear down yeah, yeah, or anything yeah. like that. We don't build walls or anything like that. So, we were pretty lucky that way. But where we saw an impact on the construction material was uh, around the windows and doors. So, that yeah. was. For some reason, that's we couldn't get these windows yeah, well, and doors. It sounds time. like plywood's going to be the the material that will stay up in price. <laughs> two by fours, two by sixes will come down. So to mm-hmm. your point, like you're not tearing down structures and yeah. reframing. You're just yeah. you're tearing down you know sheetrock. You're doing flooring, cabinetry, all mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, yeah, and like for you, obviously the demand is there and then you yeah. so your price of the property the selling price for the property is also going up to offset the cost yeah, of the right. of the additional so that's yeah. great model yeah. uh, so uh, so so what are some of the re- so you you mentioned the, the reasoning for that is the pivoting and stuff like that and i think i'd like to emphasize that a little bit because uh, so when you go if, if you're a full-time employee and all of a sudden you want to be a real estate investor uh even just for to achieve financial freedom and stuff like that i think it's important to to um, explain that there's a mindset 
shift that needs to happen yeah. i mean you're not waiting for your boss to tell you what to do anymore yeah you're the boss <laughs> and then you make things happen it doesn't happen on their own yeah and you have to keep your eyes open oh yeah so tell us a little bit more about the the mind shift that uh, that you see uh, out you know there. it's interesting um i think i was having this conversation earlier last week uh you know i think people who think about retirement at age 30 um may never retire early, right? And, I, and I'm just gonna say it just to be transparent. And I think those that actually do achieve financial freedom, they probably had the hustle and the grit and the perseverance and the, the fortitude to make it happen. And those people, mm -hmm. I think by nature are just curious. And so it's amazing because you and I could just stop and just chill out by the beach, but mm -hmm. it's in our DNA to be an entrepreneur. It's in our DNA yeah. to go out and create and, uh, and build upon things, challenge ourselves. And so if that is your DNA, even when you reach passive income, you're still going to want to work. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of like real yeah, estate exactly. will give you that opportunity. Um, but for those that are literally just like, look, no, I actually want to go to the beach. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's totally cool too. And that, that is a mindset that could be achieved, you know, fr from real estate. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I guess the question is, you know, why the pivoting mindset? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So I, I even I think even if you want to, at least at the beginning, I think as you're building the portfolio, oh, yeah. it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit different. Once once the portfolio is created, if you want to have a, a a mindset that is okay, I'm just going to sit now and enjoy the beach for the rest of my life. I mean, it's possible. But I think to uh, in order for you to start building that portfolio, you have to kind of hustle, you have yeah, to yeah, kind yeah. of make things happen and stuff like that. Of course, you can also just call a turnkey provider yeah. uh, to basically build your portfolio That's like that. Way, yeah. And this is fine, you know, by the way, Mart Martel turnkey is great. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you guys, but you know, yeah, honestly, if you want to do it this way, you, know, yeah, I, you could do I it. I talked to you and team when I was in Tokyo uh, living uh -huh. for a year and um, you guys were up to some good stuff back then. And you do great. You, you know, you have great product, which is hard to find. Um, mm -hmm. So you guys have it dialed in. It's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, things are going pretty well. I mean, we, right now we have like over 80 projects on the go. Oh, that's and, good. Yeah. So different stages of development and uh, things are going well. But even for even for us, I mean, the price have gone up. Uh, the market, the, 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 the market price for the properties have gone up. The rent have gone up as well, but they haven't have they haven't gone up as, yeah, as quickly. It's, it's on the way. Yeah. You know, I think so, to your to your to your comment though, Eric. Um, you know, in real estate, you might start off as a newbie, you know, doing basic things like buying turnkeys, but you'll become smarter. Just mm -hmm. you're going to learn tricks of the trade. You're going to talk to tax advisors. You're going to talk to the lawyers. You're going to get you know around people who made their their, their fortunes in real estate. You're going to learn new tricks. Mm -hmm. And naturally, you become smarter, you, you become wiser, you pivot into different areas, you di diversify, and wealth accumulates because you're making the right choices. And mm -hmm. when it accumulates, you have more money to play with. And then that yeah. accumulates. And then it just, yeah. it's a flywheel of wealth. And unless you make a lot of bad mistakes in a row, um, you're going to be doing just fine in real estate yeah. long term. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. The, uh, the other thing too, I think where people get discouraged is that it's starting small. People don't like yeah. starting small. Oh yeah, you know because it's green card down. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Buy forty units at once. Oh my goodness, what are you saying? <laughs>
right? I mean, this is the this is the thing, and this is the same thing with us with our turnkey rentals. I mean, yeah, you're gonna make two hundred and fifty. You put twenty, thirty thousand dollars down, you're gonna make two to three hundred dollars a month in net cash flow, and they're just like, "Hello, are you there?" Yeah, and then yeah. So yeah, only three hundred dollars uh, a month. <laughs> yeah, you're also forgetting that your 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 tenant is paying down your mortgage, so that's two fifty <laughs> yeah. a month in equity that yeah. you're getting. There's probably yeah. appreciation of four percent. That's two hundred bucks a month. <laughs> Yeah. So it nets out to about $800 a month um, on top, you know, including the cash flow. Yeah. And depreciation and all that. Yeah. And that all that. Yeah. Offset your tax and stuff. Yeah. Like that. But I mean, actually in Cleveland and in Memphis, I mean, we've, we've, ex we've seen last year, it's not sustainable, but uh, you know, 15 to, uh, to 18% uh, appreciation on the properties. Yeah. We're just like, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. So the people that are some of our clients that bought like, a year ago they're just they're, some of them are refinancing and yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> get some money out to buy an, another rental property yeah yeah so that's a great idea yep so uh tell me uh so one of the questions i think that i wanted to ask you was if you had a million dollars where would you invest it and in what kind of uh, what kind of investment you would choose for that yeah i mean there's a lot of that goes in there right um how old how old you are how much is it that, is it all you have um you know time horizon but you know, let's, let's say you're somewhere between 30 to 45 years old, right? Um, I think, again, to go back to my earlier comment, building the nest egg of income producing assets is number one. So mm -hmm. I want to understand how much money do you want to produce per month? You know, I think once you hit about 10 grand a month, you can live pretty comfortable off 10 grand a month. And I think do, so. You know, uh, now I have a fancier lifestyle. I like nice cars and, you know, fast cars yeah i like i like whiskey <laughs> yeah i i have oh. i have issues spending money on some dumb things from by most but i enjoy it you know yeah cars um <laughs> but um you know assuming that you're let's say 10 grand a month uh a million bucks will get you there i mean for sure right yeah. um so produce that nest egg first and then with the rest of the money you know think about some more more i say speculative but still low risk uh, maybe it is something uh, that has higher ROIs in real estate. Maybe it is land yeah. deals. Um, maybe you, you might consider some, you know, I mean, look, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Alibaba, phenomenal companies. They're not going mm -hmm. anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, and they have to grow to satisfy shareholders. So, you know, I, I'm not against stocks. I just think it's, a, it's an instrument that you use towards the end, right, mm -hmm. to stabilize your portfolio. First step is to buy income producing assets, mostly mm. real estate. Uh, it could be storage facilities. It could be commercial. Well, I wouldn't do commercial office, but commercial buildings outside of that, you know, warehousing syndications, you could do turnkeys. You could do, um, if there are multifamily syndications, that makes sense. And there's so many options. So yeah. go there, hit, hit that $10,000 per month or whatever it is. Uh, maybe put some money into some speculative real estate, you know, up to one fifth of the overall portfolio. And put the rest of the money in some stable stocks and just sit back and then manage your cycle and your operations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I th and I think this is something that, I mean, the question is really what people should be asking themselves. Uh, many people are uh, looking at their 401k. They think they're going to have like $500,000 or a million dollars, maybe uh, even though the median <laughs> amount of yeah. money is saved up. Yeah. Uh, by 55 years old, I think, and up yeah. is uh, $212,000. This is the median in the yeah. United States right now. So nowhere close to a million. But the question people should be asking themselves is that that nest egg, uh, that retirement 
money that they uh, they've been promised that you know yeah. with their 401k and all of that and so oh, I keep saving keep saving what people need to figure out is how is that going to be converted into a passive income yeah a passive yeah. income stream well it's not uh and there's a lot of reasons one of them is that dividends <clears throat> from stocks i'm telling you i'll call right now not all of them but the majority of dividends will be gone in 10 to 15 years the companies will have to reinvest those dividends to keep up with the hyper growth of high tech companies. They have to. So banks, for example, I'll just give you a quick, um, yep. I know we're low on time here. Yep. The cost to acquire a customer for like a Chase or a Wells Fargo uh, is, you know, between a thousand to two thousand dollars. Okay? Mm -hmm. The cost for PayPal or Venmo to acquire a customer is twenty dollars. Mm -hmm. Now, banks, those banks will not be able to compete against the, the yeah. fintech banks. So. They're not going to keep giving you a 5% dividend when they need to reinvest that into technologies or acquire mm -hmm. technology companies. So a lot of people think, okay, well, I just need to make four to 6% on my money. Well, you're not going to put it in bonds. Bonds offer nothing right now. And exactly. that's for Negative. some time. Negative you're not going to put it in high growth stocks because volatility. So, yeah. you know, I think in 10 years, people who have this mindset, I have a million mm -hmm. bucks. Now I just, you know, bleed it out until I die. Mm -hmm. That probably won't work. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so I, I think that's right. And I think the, um, I mean, there's other strategies too that you can use on the stock market and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. but that could work out. I mean, we talked, they talked a lot about that 4%, uh, exactly. you know, rule and stuff like that, but then that, you know, then you have to really kind of like invest that and making sure that yeah, your and by portfolio the way, it's stays also very balanced. Active. Uh, it's a very yeah. active uh, process. Yeah. Unless you have some kind of, you know, blue chip that you want yeah. to, but you know, you want, you want to make sure that you're, you're positioned the right way. And yeah. um, so that's, that's kind of the trick there. I was also looking at covered call strategies and stuff like that. Yeah, but then, and, yeah, but then you're talking, but that's pretty active. That's very yeah, it's active. active. It's complex. I mean, you better have some time in your hand. Yeah. I mean, you have to have the right skills to do that. Yeah. And that's the, that's the beauty of, I think of uh, real estate is that everybody understands that uh, yeah. it could be as simple as you yeah. want it. You can also make it as complicated as you want. You can. Yeah. But, but if uh, there's a hole in your wall, you know, there's a hole in your wall and <laughs> you know right. what it might take to, re to repair that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much, uh, Thomas, for your time. Uh, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? No, you know, I always enjoy talking to you, Eric. Um, I know you and Antoine and the team are doing great stuff. So um, for all you out there, I, you know, I've known them for years before they had a podcast, I believe. And um, it's good to see all you doing very well. So. Well, thank you, Thomas. And good luck on all your development deals. Yeah. And uh, again, if I, I'm going to put in the show note, uh, a link to, to the book uh, and also yeah, anything and then, you're, the real estate uh, investment uh, academy, right? Yeah. yeah reiacademy.co. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So I'll put that in the show note as well. So thank you very much, Thomas, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Cool. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.